on this week's very, very special episode of The Fizz, I live out a lifetime dream of mine in the fact that I got to interview my lifelong hero, former slash forever captain and current GM of the Detroit Red Wings, Steve Iserman, the captain, Stevie Y. I'll tell you guys how this even came to fruition, how nervous I was, all the nitty gritty details. And of course, you'll get to hear the full interview in its entirety. But before we get into all that, I want to tell you guys about Champagne Athletics and the Fizz's new sponsor, which is launching this Monday. Yes, Monday, 1-18-21, and that's Selva Tea. These are herbal loose leaf teas we're talking here. Eight of them. Eight fantastic teas made with unique plants from around the world's jungles and forests. I've had these teas on me since Christmas time, and let me tell you guys, I love this stuff. If you know anything about me, you know I'm a tea guy, whether it's hot, cold, caffeinated, or not. I love me some tea. And Selva Tea, with their eight blends launching Monday, has me super excited. But wait, there's more. Monday, when these bad boys launch, you can get yourself 10% off your first order by using the code FIZZ10. That's F-I-Z-Z-1-0. That's right. On Monday, take your tea-loving asses to selvatees.com. That's S-E-L-V-A-T-E-A-S dot com. And use the promo code FIZZ10 for 10% off your first order. They have tea sizes ranging from just $4 to 20 skins before tax. And they also have some pretty badass accessories as well you'll definitely want to check out. That's selvatees.com. Use the promo code FIZZ10, launching Monday. The roots of health begin in the jungle. Selvatees. But now, let's get into the fizz. Town, it's a place where dreams are found. We fought so many battles here. Now we're the ones that they will fear. The cup resides within our town. We won't stop no letting down. The cup is ours for all to drink. It's our town, let's mark this ring. Not alone, just look around. Second overtime. Gretzky had it, lost it. Eisenman picks it up. Eisenman moving. Blue line chance. Oh! Steve Hello and welcome to episode 52 of The Fizz. And holy shit, gang. How about that ride in? Do you guys love that guy? I love that guy. I love that guy so goddamn much. What an absolute beauty. But here we are, episode 52. Thank you, everyone out there who is watching, listening, consuming, whatever you are doing. I appreciate your support from the bottom of my heart. But look, I know everyone just wants to hear the interview with Stevie Y, but I would feel amiss. It would be wrong of me 
without number one telling you guys how we got here and number two sending out some gigantic thank yous uh, for how this came about. So there is not much of a story to it um, and I really had nothing to do with setting any of this up. Um, so when people text me and they say congrats or nice work, uh, I really, really do appreciate it, but all of the praise really needs to go first and foremost to my lovely wife, Sarah. Uh, she got the idea to do this and got all the wheels in motion. She gave it to me. She gave this interview. She set this thing up for me as our wedding gift, and it's one of the most incredible things anyone has, has ever done for me, truly. Uh, many of you out there know that Stevie Y is my hero. He always has been uh, since day one. Ever since I knew what hockey was, which has been a long time, um, he has been my whole life. I'm a grown-ass man, and I still idolize this guy as much as I did when I was six years old. So, Sarah, uh, I really, really mean it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love you so much. Uh, you are an amazing person and an angel. The second person I need to thank for all of this is the offspring of Mr. Iserman, and that's his daughter, Bella. Bella Iserman. Sarah and her became friends through the gram, uh, and Bella turned this idea into a reality. So, Bella, thank you so, so much. You're the best. Now to the lead-up of this story of how I got to interview Steve Eisman. So, Sarah, as I told you, gave this to me um, as a wedding gift. She caught me completely, completely off guard with this. Um, I knew she was hyping up her wedding gift for a long time. I didn't know what physical item she could get me that she could be so excited about. I honestly had no idea. Um, and obviously when she gave it to me, I was, I was completely freaked out. Are you serious? So she told me like a month before the wedding. We had some friends over and she, she completely sprung this out, uh, on me out of nowhere. Uh, my reaction honestly kind of sucked. <laughs> Is this real? Yeah, it's real. Uh... Because I had no idea what happened and what was going on. It was it was like a flashbang went off. It was a mixture of confusion, disbelief, uncertainty. I don't really believe it. It's real. Um, really, I I had no clue what was going on. I, I thought I was on. I thought I was in an episode of Punked. I thought I was getting fucking punked. It's as real as real can be. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> I thought Ashton Kutcher was going to pop out of the closet and, and punch me in the dick. I, I, I was befuddled. I was bewildered. I was confused. How did you do this? <laughs> what am I doing this? What is this? Um, I was rattled. I was rattled. Uh, and, you know, but lo and behold, uh, everything was true. Once the dust settled, my adrenaline went down. Uh, she told me she set this whole thing up. She said she did it through Instagram, met Bella, this and that, everything I kind of just told you guys. She provided me his phone number. Well, you know, she prepped him, said that I knew, um, and then she gave me his phone number. So I was officially in possession of, of, of his number, um, and she said he's going to give you a call sometime after the wedding, most likely early November. So we get married in September. November comes and goes. I didn't hear anything. Um, I wasn't upset about it at all. Um, you know, I, I wasn't really surprised either. The guy is the GM of the Detroit Red Wings, and, you know, I, I review McRibs on the weekend. I mean, this the meat itself has no flavor. 
I didn't really expect the guy to take a break from rebuilding the NHL's greatest American franchise, you know, to give some call to a guy in his late 20s to yuck it up about his glory days of playing. Um, but, but with all that being said, uh, on a crisp late morning in December, I'm at my house and I'm on the phone and I am fighting. I am fighting with carpet installers. Yes. Yes. Not making this up at all. We were getting carpet installed the weekend prior to this day that I'm talking about. And the carpet installers fucked everything up. This is, this is part of the story. Just deal. Just bear with me here. They fucked up the carpet. Uh, they tacked holes where holes were not supposed to be tacked. So naturally, that morning, I was going back and forth with the carpet people trying to figure out how they could possibly mess up this small little carpet job at our house, tacking holes where they shouldn't be. I'm on the phone with them. They're, you know, they're calling me. I'm calling them. It's back and forth. It's a lot of back and forth. Horrible experience with the carpet, but that's for another day. Um, all these Michigan area codes are calling me. You know, I got their warehouse calling me, their office calling me, the installer calling me. There's a lot going on, um, and this is no, you know, concern to me outside of the carpet issue. You know, because number one, Steve Eiserman is the last thing on my mind at this time. You know, we got married. Two months have gone by, and I haven't heard anything. So I'm not really thinking about Steve Eiserman at this moment in time as I'm fighting with Metro Detroit carpet installers. Uh, number two, I have his number saved. So if Steve Eiserman ever reached out to me, little old me, Frank Cerise, if he ever reached out to me, I got his number. I have his phone number so I can prepare and react accordingly if I see the name Steve Eiserman pop up on my phone. Um, so in the midst of carpet hell and all this back and forth, um, I get a call from a 248 number. I answer quickly, I answer curtly, and I'm borderline rude because I think this is another fucking carpet installer. So I answer the phone. Hello, this is Frank. Very direct, right at it. Say my name, let him know what's up. The response, hi Frank, this is Steve Eiserman. Instant panic. Instant panic on my end. I stand straight up. I start pacing the room back and forth. Steve. Oh, wow. Hi. It, it's Frank. Uh, it's, you just said that. You just said that you know it's Fra Frank. It's Frank. Cerise. I'm Frank. Steve continues. I have some free time in the next coming days. When do you have time to talk? And I can just hear that Canadian accent. You know, at first I thought someone was messing with me. You know, someone calls. It's like an aunt, It's like an uncle or something or like, a, you know, a friend trying to be funny. Hey, it's Steve Eiserman. Frank. Hey, you know, I didn't know. But you hear him, you know the voice right away, the Canadian accent, it was Steve. It was, it was the guy. It was the man. It's the GM in the wings. Uh, you know, he said he has free time in the next coming days. When do I have time to talk? Uh, my pacing now has turned into full-on shuttle runs across my living room. You know, and I'm, and I'm just kind of like, you know, whatever works best for you. And he kind of tells me like, well, I can do it today. Can you do today? I got some time next week. And I'm like, oh, boy. Oh, man. Uh, how about, you know, how about next week? So... From there, we set the date. We set the date December 8th at 11 a.m. On the evening of December 7th, Steve Eiserman texts me and he says, the, uh, the 8th is no good. Uh, can we reschedule? I say, yeah, let's push it to the 9th. Perfect. 
Perfect. So day of, uh, I'm on Zoom. Well, let, I'll back up a little bit. On the phone, you know, I'm asking him, I'm like, hey, can we meet in person? He's like, ah, COVID, the mass, let's just, you know, let's just do a Zoom. You know, and then I say, uh, you know, how much time can I get you for? Can I get you for an hour? And he says, maybe let's, let's, you know, I don't know. He kind of like, eh, he doesn't want to say no. He's a super nice guy. Uh, so I say, okay, half hour. So we agree on a half hour. Um, you'll find out we blew right through that half hour. And I don't know if that's just because he was too nice to tell me to shut the hell up um, or he actually enjoyed talking to me. You guys can be the judge of that. So day of the interview, it's a Wednesday, it's December 9th. Uh, I got my blazer on. I got, I got my dinosaur shirt on. You guys will see it in a second here. I'm on at 11 a.m. sharp. I'm, I'm there before 11 a.m. And I'm sitting there staring at my own face for eight minutes and three seconds. Eight minutes, three seconds. I am just staring at a screen of my own face. And I 100% thought I was getting big timed. And, you know, I totally would understand uh, that happening. And I, you know, I just didn't think it was happening. I thought he got busy again. You know, like he has a pretty prominent job, busy job, uh, you know, thought maybe he just missed this one or whatever. Uh, so 200% thought I was getting big timed. Um, and then my phone rings, my phone rings, uh, and it's him. Uh, he tells me he's having trouble with the zoom and that he will be on shortly. Uh, and you know, but on the phone call, we kind of chat for like a hot second there. And I was kind of nervous. He was just going to keep talking to me on the phone. And I was like, God damn it. I'm not going to be able to record this. And then I'm just gonna have to tell people I like talked on the phone with him and, and I'm just gonna have to explain what happened. But, but lo and behold, uh, the zoom pops up and we're off and running. You'll see kind of a rocky start. It's funny. I'm very nervous. I'm, I'm extremely nervous. You guys will be able to tell that, um, early on in the call. I am, I am nervous, but I get better. I, I believe as we go on, uh, and it ends up being a great conversation. There's a little bit of a cameo, uh, cause his dog starts going berserk. You may even hear Hank in the background. My dog starts going nuts when his dog starts going nuts. So there's a little bit of a moment there. Uh, you guys just be the judge of this one. Uh, I did my best. I tried to ask questions that I cared about. Uh, I went with a lot of the old classic questions and things about his career path. I didn't ask much about the future of the Red Wings. You know, I didn't ask him like, who's going to be car, uh, captain, you know, uh, what transactions you're going to make in the future, because he's not going to, he doesn't reveal stuff to the reporters he deals with every day. He's not going to reveal this stuff to me. Uh, you know, he's kind of like a politician with his plans for the future Red Wings and that's how it should be. So I didn't want to get the runaround that everyone gets. So I, I kind of went back and I played the hits and we do an over under at the end. So, um, the, the other thing too, before we get going, uh, before, I end it at the very end, uh, you know, I'm thanking him and I'm talking about how much I admire him and how much he's done for the city and everything like that. And I mentioned the year 1995 when I met, when I mean to say 1996. Um, and let me tell you, you can ask my wife about this. I still wake up in cold sweats in the middle of the night, uh, thinking about how I said the wrong year to Steve Eiserman. Uh, it bothers me very much. I don't even know if he noticed, but I, I think about it daily. Um, other than that, it was an out-of-body experience. It was very surreal, and I just want to thank, uh, number one, uh, my wife and Bella for getting this thing set up, Steve Eiserman for doing this. Uh, I, I appreciate you to the moon and back. Really, I do. And everyone out here supporting this, this was a lot of fun. This was 
this was a ton of fun. One of the coolest things I've ever done in my life. So thank you all for watching and supporting. But I will shut up now. Ladies and gentlemen, boys, girls, beauties, legends, grinders, grocery sticks, jersey chasers, and wing nuts alike, I present to you the greatest Detroit Red Wing of all time, my hero, the captain, Steve Eiserman. Hey Steve, how we doing? There you go, perfect. <laughs> yeah, we can just talk on here. Oh, cool. Okay. Hey, Steve, can you hear me? You got it? I can hear you. There we go. Okay, good stuff. Do you have video? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. I really appreciate you doing this. Is there any way we could get the video going? That's what now I'm trying to figure out. Oh, okay. I got all these uh, security things on here to keep people like you off my computer. <laughs> there we go. You got me? Yeah, I got gotcha. you. I really appreciate okay. you doing this. No, no. Happy to do it. Appreciate your patience. And uh, good. when are you getting married? So I got married in September. Oh, you did in September. Okay. Yeah. We, uh, yeah. We, you know, we had to cut the guest list a bunch of times, had to do a bunch of COVID protocols, but we've been engaged two years. So we just, we just. Great. Good for you. Uh, where, did you get married here in Detroit or up north there? We were in Detroit, actually. We were at the uh, the roof of the Opera House. Oh, nice. Outdoor? Yeah, that's the only reason we were weather? there. But How was the really, weather? Good? Yeah, it was great. We got real lucky. It said rain all week, um, and then, you know, it just kind of opened up for us, so it was, it was, it was great. Pretty nice down there, huh? Yeah, uh, it was awesome. Yeah. And somebody else, wanted, I think one of our players had a wedding up there, and it was like a 100-degree day, and Everybody was just soaking from sweat. Yeah. So the biggest nightmare of the whole thing was the backup plan for rain or too much heat is to go inside. But with COVID, we couldn't go inside. So we had to pay for a tent just to sit in the parking lot if, if it rained or whatever. So right. it, all, it all worked out. Good. Well, good for you. Good yeah. for you. Thanks a lot. Um, okay. You know, again, really, really appreciate this. Uh, you know, my wife, now wife hooked it up, talked to Bella. Um, so th this is really an honor for me and I, I really yeah. do appreciate it. Uh, no, no problem. Happy to do it. And uh, yeah, for ba Bella's friends, happy to, uh, to do any favors for them. So, um, and actually it works out, works out well because there's a lot of hockey to talk about. It looks like we'll be coming back in January and, you know, obviously we can talk about the draft and free agency and so on and so forth. So timing of it is better now than say in September when we had nothing to talk about really. Right. And I'm, I mean, there's always stuff, at least with me that I, you know, I could ask you and I'll probably be focusing more on just a little bit of, if, of your career um, and transitioning from a player to a front office, you know, if, if that's all right with you. 
Honestly, yeah, whatever whatever you want to talk about, I'm fine with. Uh, I'll stay away from political issues if we can. And uh, but anyway, <laughs> if you want to talk hockey, I'm happy to happy to uh, answer any questions. Whatever you want to do. Okay, yeah, I'll cross off the the voting ballot and the pro life, pro choice questions. I guess. Then. <laughs> okay, appreciate uh, it. Yeah, no problem. So I'll start off with this. I just I have to ask you. I've had this shirt forever. Have you ever seen this shirt? It's you. Uh, it's you, Shani, and Sergey as Raptors, and it says fast, feisty, and hungry for the 97 Cup. No, yeah, no, I, I've never seen that one. Never seen it. Because the 90s apparel, um, is, you know, I've taken a, quite an interest in it, and I grew up with it, and I have a lot of it. And this is by far the most obscure thing I ever had. And I wanted to know how much you had to sign off on back in the day, and I, I just don't yeah, know. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have had to sign off on any. I can't remember how that stuff worked. But I don't remember. I don't remember ever actually approving any any of that stuff. I think there's a deal uh, with the players' association that the league, you know, the league and the players' association kind of agree that you can use, you know, players for any of that stuff. I got gotcha. you. Uh, so in addition to that, one more along that line, just some light stuff to open up. Uh, this is arguably like my favorite photo of you. Uh, <laughs> And I want to know how this one came about. How did this photo shoot happen? Honestly, I, I, I can remember that picture. I don't remember where we took it. If it was at, you know, the Detroit Yacht Club or one of the, yeah. you know, I just can't remember where it was done or when it was done. It would have been sometime, I'm guessing, with that hair um, <laughs> kind of in the stick would be uh, – Late night, uh, late eighties, maybe right around nineteen ninety ish, maybe. That's a great one. You should have that one hang, hung up. I haven't seen that one in a while. Yeah, that one's my favorite. I think you're at the Joe actually too, because there's the red rail. Oh, is that right? Maybe, maybe so. Yeah. Again, I can't remember where we did that. Yeah, there's a lot of photos of you. Um, okay, just wanted to open up with those light ones. Um, and now, you know, just I kind of want to get back to or ask you a little bit about the beginning of, of your career. Um, you know, you grew up in British Columbia, you know, 2000 plus miles away from Detroit. Um, you're drafted in 1983. You come to the city. Uh, the team is in last place. They're nicknamed, you know, the Dead Wings. Uh, the city has a lot to be desired. Um, after 10 years of you playing here, they bring in Scotty. Scotty says you're not playing enough defense. Scotty's open about moving you to Ottawa. I kind of want to ask you, what made you stay in Detroit? Why did you stay here? Well, um, not necessarily quite how it went. Like, you know, there's this myth out there that or this, uh, uh, you know, perception that, you know, Scotty wasn't just like, Steve, you got to play defense. It was, the whole team, guys, we're not going to win if we can't check. Um, we have a lot of scoring. We have a lot of centers. And uh, we had a really good team. Um, so it was it was a mindset for the entire club. Um, really, after uh, after 94, we had the lockout season of uh, – the lockout in, in the fall of 94 – and we started playing in January of 95. That was a year we lost to uh, Jersey in the finals. But we were a very, like, I think we were the best defensive team in the league. And it was prior to that, 
that uh, uh, they, you know, they had said we're going to make that commitment uh, to becoming a better defensive team. We lost in the first round in '94, but to Tr San Jose '93 to Toronto, and having really good teams. But we we just were, we're an offensive-minded team. We were committed. We wanted to score. We're going to beat you by scoring. So they changed the mindset for everyone. So it wasn't just about me. Um, I think all those trade rumors were around the summer of 96, uh, after 95, uh, 95, 96, no, 94, 95, I think in that 95 year, I had seven goals or something. I had off season surgery on my neck, uh, had knee surgery in the playoffs and, uh, uh prior to the, the, uh, uh, Jersey finals. And then that's uh, that coming into 96, that training camp, that's when the kind of the rumors started up with Ottawa, as you mentioned. And, uh, um, you know, I, why you asked me why I stayed, I had no choice. Like I was under contract right. and I wasn't about to ask to be traded. I felt the Red Wings were the, one of the best teams in the league and had a chance to win. Uh, so for myself, he asked me, why did I want to stay? I wanted to win a cup. And I thought Detroit had, you know, the best chance at that time uh, to win the cup. So I was prepared to do anything uh, to stay with the team. And frankly, uh, I really enjoyed playing here. I never once thought I'd want to play somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so I just, you, you don't see it uh, too much, you know, in today's world, players seem to bounce around a lot more, you know, free agency seems a little more loose, you know, so I was just, you know, looking back at your career, you know, there, there was a while before you were able to reach the ultimate goal. Um, you know, it's, it's clear you do love this city, you know, as you come back to GM for the wings, you know, why, why is it that you love the city? Well, you mentioned, I came in 83, um, you know, prior to being drafted, I didn't know much about um, the Red Wing, the organization uh, at that time. Uh, and then Jim Devlano was our general manager. He brought me into Detroit prior to the draft. Um, uh, I don't know if it would have been uh, early April or, or April or May took me to a Tigers game and, and left. He gave me a media guide when I left and talked about the upcoming draft, which was a month or two away. And I started to do read this media guide, um, what had the history of the Red Wings. And, and uh, I thought that was, it was intriguing. Like, a, again, this is obviously before the internet, before you could get every single game on TV playing in Canada, you didn't really see a lot of the American-based teams. The only, the only time you saw them was on Saturday night on Hockey Night in Canada. But neither they, they, they showed the Canadians game or the Leafs game. So you didn't get a lot of coverage of the U.S. teams, and you saw them in the playoffs. And, you know, at that time, the Wings weren't in the playoffs, so I didn't really know much about their team. I think I saw them once play in Toronto. Um, uh, but I became intrigued by the organization. I figured I was going to go somewhere three, four – five, six in the draft. I didn't really know. Um, but from day one, once I got drafted by the organization, it's like, wow, this, you know, the history with all the success and the, uh, the great players that played here, I never once thought, uh, you know, considered it, oh, these are the dead, you know, the dead wings. To me, it was like, this is unbelievable. I get to play in a franchise that had Alex and Gordy and Terry Sawchuk and, and, and whatnot. And it was all extremely exciting for me. So uh, from day one, uh, uh, I enjoyed playing here. I enjoyed living in the area. And obviously to date, to this day, I still do. Yeah, that's awesome. It's hard to imagine you not knowing much about uh, 
the Red Wings organization. Yeah, well, you, you know what? You didn't know much about any of the teams. You know, at that time, you know, in the early 70s, the Bruins were a good team. You knew about the Bruins. Um, uh, you knew about the Islanders uh, in the, in the uh, late 70s. You knew about the Flyers in the mid-70s. The rest of the teams, you never saw them, you know, and the Canadians were a dynasty. And, uh, you know, when I living in Ottawa, we pretty much got the, the, the Canadians games every Saturday night and occasionally a Monday night game on the French Channel. Uh, and that's what we got to watch. So uh, you were really limited. And, and a lot of the, the U.S.-based teams, the only time you'd see the guys was the All-Star game. And you look forward to the All-Star game every year because you, you'd watch Marcel Dion. That was your one chance all year to see Marcel Dion. And uh, um, it was just completely different. So the U.S. teams were really unknown unless you saw the powerhouses in the playoffs. Yeah, that's interesting, just the access to the to the games. You know, I, I could pull up all 31 on the screen you know, any day of the week now. Right. Yep. Um, so you mentioned going to a Tigers game, uh, you know, loose connection here, but you know, one of my favorite, another favorite picture of mine of yours is you with Barry Sanders, Dumars, uh, and Cecil Fielder. I think it's 1990 at Tiger stadium. Um, just kind of wanted to ask you, you know, what, what was going on there? Were you guys just hanging out? Did you guys make a day of it? Um, you know, what'd you guys talk about? I, I, I don't remember for sure. Um, who set that up, but it might have, you know, Mitch Album might have set that up. Uh, 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 we all went to the game. We got there early, if I recall. Got there early, got to sit in, I don't know if it was the press lounge or whatever, just kind of congregate there and talk, and 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 I think we watched some of the game together, and, you know, made an evening of it. Um, uh, you know, over the course of your career, you get to meet the guys a little bit off and on, um, spend a little time, so you get to know them a little bit. Um, you know, actually, I think I got a ride. If I remember correctly, I got a ride down. Uh, Cecil and I both lived in Gross, Gross Point at that time, and uh, I think think they gave us a ride down, which was pretty, pretty uh, for me as a big sports fan. Pretty uh, cool. Get to sit for an hour with a home run leader in baseball and just talk to him and pick his brain one on one. Uh, was a lot of fun. So I got to know, you know, I think that was my first introduction to Barry and get to know him a little bit. And uh, it was a good, it was a good time. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. And, you know, I, you know, I view, especially, you know, you, Barry, um, Joe Dumars in that category of just, you know, you guys are very talented, very successful, top of your game, um, but very reserved, very humble. Um, and I, I feel like that is, you know, a trait of a Detroit athlete. You know, I don't know if that just came by the players we had, or if that's something we looked for. Um, but I don't know if that's anything you've noticed over Detroit athletes over the years. I mean, even Dennis Rodman was pretty reserved, you know, before he went to the Bulls. So just something I've observed with Detroit athletes. Yeah. Well, again, the guy, the, when I came, you know, Alex Dalvecchio, Gordy, Ted Lindsay, when I, when I came to Detroit, you walk into the arena and literally you're walking down the hall and, Gordy's walking by you, you know, and you go into the, the locker room and you go into the gym and Ted's working out in the gym, you know, and it, and they're really down to earth guys. Like these are the greatest players, uh, some of the greatest players that ever played and you're, you're around them. That's intimidating to begin with, or, or uh, kind of an awesome experience. So then you sit back and you get talking to them and you, you kind of realize they're pretty normal guys. They're pretty down to earth for myself as a kid. I saw these guys as larger than life, you know, and, and being, having some, you know, extra special uh, 
it factor or whatever, something that the rest of us don't have. And you get to realize they're, they're just pretty normal guys and they talk hockey and, uh, uh, the way they, the, the, the humility that they all showed was a great example for us. And that goes to this day for a guy like Alex Dalvecchio. I'm not, you know, you're pretty young. Um, but the kids today don't realize what an incredible player he was. And, you know, time, you know, you know, these things fade a little bit for people. Um, but they all just were just really nice, normal guys. It's a good example. You know, and we just lost Al Kaline, who I got to know over my time here. One of the greatest baseball players ever, who was a very humble, polite, uh, uh, articulate, good guy who just, fit into the city. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my dad was born in 1950. You know, he just turned 70 this year. So he's educated me on how Lindsay, Kaline, those were all his guys. So, you know, mm -hmm. I watched net, net Worth and, um, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but, you know, it got learned a lot about how they were playing for pennies before, you know, the million dollar contracts today. Mm -hmm. um, so just, just moving, moving a little forward here. Um, you know, you obviously had a very successful playing career. Um, it was known towards the end of your career, you wanted to get, you know, you still wanted to be around hockey, be a part of management. Um, I, I'm just curious of why you wanted to go into GM work or, you know, management work over, say, coaching. Yeah, I did. I was somewhat intrigued uh, uh, by coaching um, and, uh, and still have some interest. And I don't ever, I don't ever see myself going into coaching, but I just, I leaned more towards the management style. I was more intrigued, I guess, by the, the building of a team. I used to talk to Jimmy D, Jimmy DeVolano a lot about it. Uh, Kenny Holland, uh, obviously when he was here as GM, talk a lot about it. I always followed, whether it was baseball, football, hockey, just how teams were built, um, the trades that were made. Uh, it was fascinating to me. So I just leaned more towards the management side of things and uh uh kind of went i just uh you know the, the challenge of building a team putting together not only the team on the ice but your entire staff your amateur scouting staff your pro scouting staff and working with all those different departments uh to me um was most intriguing and and considered a, a great challenge so probably why i would lean more towards it coaching is tough and uh and I, you know, when I thought about it at the time, I was like, okay, if I want to get into coaching, I'm going to have to go somewhere and coach. I would not have considered my first job in coaching to be in the NHL. I would want to, I don't know whether it would be junior hockey or, or some, something to, to get your feet wet and get comfortable, you, you know, in, in the role. There's a lot that go, you look at the successful coaches, the majority of them, there's no perfect route in there, ideal route or necessary route for anyone. But, you know, you take a Mike Babcock or a John Cooper who just won the cup in Tampa, you know, they were coaching kids hockey. Then they went to tier two or major junior, the American hockey league. It's quite a process. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, you're going to take your family and bounce around and go and you're, it's, it's tough. So I just thought the management route was a better way for me. And ultimately it was more intriguing for me to, uh, to get into management. Yeah, makes sense. Um, one question about you working, um, you know, in management, you know, I know, you know, just from years of hearing you speak and everything, you know, you don't, you don't like talking about yourself too much. You don't like talking about um, your success. I mean, I was 
you know, reading before we talked, you unretired your number from Team Canada. Um, you know, you downplayed passing Mario Lemieux and goals. You know, obviously you're back in Detroit. Um, you're the GM. You have to deal with all the interviews, all the questions, all the marketing. Um, do you dislike that part of the role? Because you definitely come off as someone who would just rather put your head down and, you know, get the job done. And obviously there's a little more flair to it being the face of the organization. Um, well, again, the general manager is to me is not the face of the organization. You look around uh, at all sports, like, uh, you know, the, the New England Patriots, the most successful football team, maybe sports organization in the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. I don't know the name of the GM there. Right. You know? Like, yeah. I, I think the role of the general manager is to, you, know, you have to be there at, you know, uh, in front of the camera, speak when you need to speak. It doesn't, I believe, on a day-to-day -day basis, the coaches is, is is there to answer the questions on a day-to-day -day basis. When there's a need, when when there's a uh, uh, whether it be the trade deadline, uh, the draft, unrestricted free agency, a major trade, or or something of importance, or maybe just an update that I you you having the media, um, uh, they're important to sports. They're important to every. Uh, you know, all of pro sports, we, they promote the game for us. So there has to be a, a certain amount of cooperation, but I don't think the GM should be there on a daily basis. I, I don't believe you should be out there. Um, you should be out there working. You should be doing your thing. And uh, I don't, I don't like to necessarily give everybody all the information on a daily basis. Uh, you don't need to know that. And there's not, not enough to be said on a daily basis from the GM. So it's not a matter of uh, uh, disliking it. Uh, I just believe the GM is more behind the scenes and need to, to work behind the scenes on a daily basis. Your coach and your players should be, should be the one uh, speaking or representing the organization. But I don't feel I'm the face of the franchise. Our, Right now, our players are, um, and I wouldn't say any one individual. It's it's where the Detroit Red Wings were rebuilding. This is where we are. You know, we've got a good core of young players, uh, good guys, articulate guys, interesting guys. They're much much more interesting to talk to the coaching staff, Jeff Blashill and his group, than the general manager. Because truthfully, I'm not going to say a whole lot. I understand. Um, not surprised um, at the answer um, either. Uh, for you saying you're not the face right now. Um, completely understand. Um, one thing I do have a question about, you know, your view from a GM, and obviously you've been in the league since you were 18 years old. Um, you know, you've seen it at a lot of different levels. One thing I'm very curious about um, is, as you've seen teams evolve, to, you know, the, the players that you were with, you know, in, in the mid-90s versus what an NHL player looks like today, one thing I'm curious about is just kind of that locker room camaraderie, you know, with technology today, you know, kids have cell phones, they're very um, exposed, uh, you know, to the public when they go out, everyone has a cell phone, a camera, you know, back in the day, there was no cell phones. I heard Nick Lindstrom speak back in the day, how different the locker room uh, was, and there's a little more camaraderie. Um, do you feel, uh, you know, that has evolved and how do you feel players back in the day versus now in like team camaraderie in the locker room? Um, you know, is different. Um, you know, right now I don't spend a lot of time in the locker room. <laughs> Actually, as as the general manager, I've, that's the players' domain, and uh, um, you know, the coach goes in there. I, it's funny when the GM walks into the room in the locker room, 
everybody disperses because they're ner- what's he what's he here for i'm getting sent to the miners i'm traded or whatnot so yeah. i don't spend a lot of time in there um uh but i would say you know what our our doesn't not just for sports teams in general we're all guilty of living on our cell phone you know you you go out for dinner uh four guys go out for dinner or you have a team dinner um we all have that habit of checking our phone all the time so i don't think sports are any different than any other uh, society it's nice to you know when you're together just to put them away it's funny i think now you'll have guys sitting on the bus texting a guy two rows back as opposed to having a conversation you know i for most of my career we didn't their cell phones weren't around they they became popular probably mid 90s really and uh and then by 2000 i remember um Somebody showed me a picture of, of uh, uh, at the Olympics in 02 in our locker room when we won. It was a really a great experience, you know, uh, um, kind of sitting in there with the guys. There was really strict uh, rules on who was allowed access to the locker room. So I think they had just one TV camera from the network, maybe two. And it was just the guys in there. And we had a great time. And Anyway, they took a, I got a picture of, of Mario, Joe Sackick, and myself just, uh, you know, talking, laughing. And, you know, we're, I think we were drinking a beer. Mario might have had a cigar. Um, and it's a, one of my favorite pictures. And then uh, somebody sent me, whether it was, I think it was a year or two years ago, uh, the Canadian National Junior Team, uh, the, the difference in the celebrations after they won. Uh, they compared our picture with us with a cigar and a beer and, the Canadian, uh, the, the kids all lined up in a row, every one of them with their head down texting on their phones, you know, uh, it was just kind of funny, but, and it's not a criticism. It's just, that's the way society has changed a little bit. Uh, I think things are quieter. I know, I noticed you ride the bus on any team now after a game, if you've won, um, generally you got, you know, you're riding to the airport and there's music being played and there's some chatter and, and whatnot. Now it's pretty quiet and, you know, everybody's got their earbuds in and either they're listening to music or texting or or on their Snapchat or whatever it is, Instagram posting things. It's just things have changed and we we accept that. So but as far as the players, I think they, uh, you know, the camaraderie in the room, they hang together. I'm sure they have some fun, um, but it's 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 uh, it's different. Um, you know, um, I don't you know, you go out, you're in public. uh you better just assume everything you do, uh, everything you do, everything you say, um, even everything you text or email, expect it to be out there and expect the world to see it, expect the world to read it. Yeah, absolutely. I was just curious, you know, if you noticed that, you know, changing the ways teams, you know, connect and all that. Um, so I just guess got a couple more for you here and then a couple quick hitters and then I'll let you go. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, awesome. Um, so one thing I did want to ask here uh, is, you know, in, in 1997, uh, Joe Kosher, he kind of waltzed out of a beer league. And then four months later, you know, he's scoring goals in the Stanley Cup finals. What are the odds of, more ask for myself, what are the odds of something like that happening in today's NHL? Um, well, every now and then it happens, right? Like, uh, that was pretty amazing. Like, and good for Joey, like, he played really well. If you remember, like, uh, 
go, in, going back into the uh, the Philly series, he scored a couple of really nice goals. I remember, I don't know, it was game one, the breakaway. I think he went forehand, backhand uh, yeah. uh, on, on Hexy, I think, at that time. Uh, was it really? I think he was brought in more mostly for his presence. You know, he put Joe Kosher there and play him a couple of shifts and, and the other team sees him on the ice and it's like, whoa, you know, like kind of calms the waters a little bit, but he played really well. Him and Drapes and uh, Maltz became a, a really good line. They chipped in goals. They were hard to play against. Uh, so, you know what, uh, soon Seattle's going to be in the league. We're going to have 32 teams. Um, you just, these, these kind of fairy tale stories are going to happen periodically. And, uh, um, it was unusual, but it's kind of, you know, you, you look at Tampa this year who picked up Pat Maroon, you know, he had an impact on the team. He played a little bit and you just never know along the way. Um, but yeah, guys, you know, you, you keep trying and you never know. So it was, Joey was an important player for our team, mostly what it did. And by 97, you know, we had added Shani. Um, Shani was roughly 220, big, hard guy, you know, like, so you had Shani on one line. You have Marty Lapointe, who was 220 pounds. They actually played together, um, uh, you know, on on Malpe, Draper Malpe had uh, Joey, who's 215 to 220 on, you know, with myself. And Darren McCarty was 215. Uh, on that Thomas Sandstrom at that time, we added him at the deadline. He was 6'2", 6'3", 215. All of a sudden, we were had a lot of big guys. We were a heavier team. And it made a difference for us. So adding, adding Joey um, onto the fourth line, he brought another element for us, but he played really well, but we all of a sudden we were a bigger, harder team. And over the course of these playoff series, other teams were getting beat up, were getting worn down. And it was a big reason why we ended up winning and, and then being able to do it again in 98. Yeah. I think coaches, I think Joey scored early in the 98 series as well too. Um, if I'm remembering, or it might've been, no, I think you did. I think you did score pretty early in that series. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, just, I think it, you know, it was a little bit of a testament as to how the game was played. You know, I was watching the 97 finals the other day and, you know, those announcers, you know, thought Philly was going to bully Detroit around and Philly couldn't make it, you know, through the neutral zone pretty much for the first three games of that series, it felt like. So, you know, it just seems like picking up those big, strong bruisers was more of something that may have happened, you know, in the mid nineties, late nineties type of game, as opposed to today where, the grabbing, the slowing down, you know, a little bit of a faster game, you might not see as much. Yeah. Um, uh, I lost you for a second. Oh, hang on one second. Oh, you're good. Um, bear with me for one second. All good. Can you see me? I can see you. You haven't gone anywhere. Okay. I can't see you, but I uh, won't worry about it. But, uh, you know, again, just going back at that time, it, I think the game, you know, Jersey was a really good team. Like they get, uh, they were really, they won three Stanley Cups. They checked well. I think they get a bit of a bum rap, you know, like they were a good team. They checked well. They were disciplined. Obviously they ran us. Uh, they, they were better than us in 90, beat us four straight. We weren't ready. They could, they could defend. They're a great example of, you know, good teams, you know, no matter how much you can score, you got to defend and, and they could score enough. They checked well. They had a big, strong D and obviously, you know, one of the best goalies of all time. Um, you know, we we 
learned from that and you know we got bigger we got harder we adjusted our team we're a little bit more balanced and i still think today that part hasn't changed you you're probably not going to win if you can't you know defend and you can't keep the puck out of your net and you know tampa did a great job of they were just you know they played all these overtime games and mm-hmm. and they give up a lot and uh through and they were able to go double triple overtime and win where you know they weren't forcing and i think that you know losing two years ago uh, in the first round uh was a good hard lesson for them to learn and this year they were um more comfortable in those tight games and were more prepared and, and checked so that part of it, the, the rules have changed from 20 years ago uh, it is more of a, uh, uh, in, in a good way, a free-flowing game. There is less, you know, that is, you know, there is zero tolerance on interference, um, and 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 that's a good thing. So, uh, but at the end of the day, you still have to check, you still have to defend, and that part hasn't changed. Yeah, and I, uh, yeah, speaking of Tampa, I honestly predicted after the, well, I thought after the Columbus series, I didn't think they'd make it out of the second round. I just thought, um, you know, they were going to be drained too much from that first round with all the overtime games. So really impressive to watch them go go the distance this year. It was extremely. Yeah. Um, okay, a couple more here, and then we'll end with some quick hits, and I'll let you go. But um, yep. um, just kind of a you know, blanket here, what were some of your, you know, most memorable or maybe your most memorable celebrations with the Stanley Cup? I've seen you've had it on a jet ski. Um, I know you took it on David Letterman. I dug forever to find your interview on David Letterman. I couldn't find a video recording of it. Um, but just curious if you have any, uh, you know, memories, you know, you can speak publicly that you, you enjoyed with the, the Stanley Cup. I think it was 97. Um, we were over in Gro- I don't know if it was 97 or 02. I can't remember which one it was, but we had a party over in Gross Point, I think at Brownies. Um, and uh, Kid Rock was there and he put on a little uh, little concert for us. Oh, man. And it was unreal. He was amazing. And uh, uh, that, that was one of the most fun nights we had for sure. Um, that one would definitely stand out for me, actually. And then, you know, looking back... Uh, um, truthfully, a couple of the parties I don't remember very well. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, so they were good in a different way. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that that was great. The first uh, the parade in '97 was unreal. I didn't never been a part of anything like that, and never uh, I didn't expect that. You know, I don't know if there was over a million people. I just uh, it was uh, it was unreal. And then being at Hart Plaza and looking out at all of it, it was. And just an incredible experience, something I never, never forget. But I just, you know, you dream about being in those parades and then until you're there and actually see the number of people and the uh, excitement and, and fun everybody had, uh, that was very, very memorable. Yeah, I was, yeah, I think I just remember it was, you know, like 100 degrees that day and they had the fountain going. You know, I was, what was I, it was 97, so I was six years old. So, you know, I was dancing in the water. So I was there too, cheering you guys on. Um so last, last kind of long form one here, and then uh, we'll close out with just some, just some quick hits. Um, so you've obviously had a very long and successful career. Um, almost everything you've done, you've had success doing, um, but obviously that hasn't happened without some hills to climb. Um, I think a lot of people forget, especially people my age, you know, I started watching hockey and the Wings just won cups. That's what they did. All I know is, you know, Red Wing success and playoff streaks. Um, 
people like myself, I think they forget that you were in Detroit for 14 years um, before you won a cup. Um, you've had your knee injuries. Um, you know, I remember in 02, you overcoming it in Vancouver. Uh, I remember uh, screaming with horror when you took the puck to the eye um, versus Calgary. Um, so I just want to know, you know, this is pretty personal for me. Like, what is your mental approach to uh, achieving success, you know, and the grind and patience um, and sometimes takes to get there? Yeah, well, again, I came here in 83. We made the playoffs in, in that first year. My first two years, we made the playoffs. We were progress, progressing. Missed the playoffs my third year. We really struggled. We had a bad, bad team. We actually made a transition to going really young that year, and we just weren't ready to go. Uh, there were a lot of ups and downs through the 90s, for our t or through the uh, eight, late 80s and into the 90s with good teams that weren't able to win. So, uh, you know, throughout the course of your career, like uh, there's going to be ups and downs pretty much for, for every athlete. You go through it. Um, and for me, I just believe you stick with it. Um, you know, one, I love, I love playing. I love practicing. I love every part of the game. So it was fun and it was, this is just what you do. Uh, you know, it was difficult there in the mid nineties when we weren't able, you know, we, we, we weren't able to win the cup, uh, you know, 94, 95, 96, uh, people start to doubt you. You start to doubt yourself, honestly. And, uh, you know, I just felt, you know, you just got to stick with it, grind through it. And in a team sport, uh, you really, you, you can only do your part. Um, and then hope things fall into place. You got to count on a lot of people. Uh, and a lot of, there's a lot of people that go into a team winning, um, they start, you know, starting from ownership all the way down to the trainers and the, every, everybody that's behind the scenes. So you just stick with it, do your part. Uh, uh, I kind of say, I'm going to do everything I can um, on the ice and off the ice to try and win. And fortunately we're able to do that. And by you don't win without a great organization, great ownership, uh, great players, great, good, great coaching. You're not going to win. So um you know, I love playing and uh, I love the competition and I love trying and uh, the, the disappointments hurt, but you learn from them and, and you learn to appreciate the winning. So all in all, you look back now and uh, all the experiences m make you better. And I think all my experience as a player helped me in, in my role now because I really feel like I, hey, I've been there. I know exactly what these guys are thinking. I know what they went through uh, coming back from injuries, disappointments, frustrations and whatnot. I've been there. I think I can relate. And, uh, I think that helps me in this role. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I know as a fan, um, we're ecstatic to have you back and, you know, as you, you think of free agents and people getting drafted and, you know, it's, it's great to have you on, on the Red Wing side when, when talking, cause I, you know, they know who you are and they can relate to you and they, they know you've played the game at every level. So I think it, you know, it brings a sense of, of real pride and, um, you know, urgency back to the city and the Red Wings. So we're so happy to have you back. Well, we got, we got a lot of work to do. This isn't, you know, it's not easy rebuilding it and there's no guarantees that it works out. Um, but, uh, but we're committed to getting back there. Uh, I believe we will. I can't tell you how long it's going to take. I hope, uh, I hope we get there sooner than later. And I hope uh, our, you know, uh, our fans patience uh, with me doesn't run out before we're there but um you know it, it's just it's difficult harder than ever to 
uh, I believe, to rebuild. There's just more teams. The talent is in the league. That's the reality, that the talent is spread out further, whether it's through the draft, through free agency. Um, you know, you got to soon to have a 32-team league versus a 21-team league and just just makes it more difficult. But we'll, you know, we're under the same uh, – every team's on, you know, you know, playing by the same rules, and I think we'll eventually get there. And uh, I hope it's sooner than later for people, but it is tough, and I'm excited about the oppor- – you know, grateful for the opportunity to be here, and I'm excited about the uh, the job ahead. There's a lot of work to do, and hopefully we get lucky and get there sooner than later. Absolutely. We're, I'm excited to watch the journey. Um, so, well, I just have a couple quick hits for you here. Uh, these are just, you know, quick one-offs. Uh, just some questions for you about hockey and a couple other things. So I'll just jump right into them. Um, are you a white tape or a black tape kind of guy? Uh, pretty much black tape. Um, uh, one thing, if you look back and see some of the photos, you'll see some white tape along there and uh, generally, uh, when things got bad, uh, when I struggled, when I slumped or whatever, I would switch to the white tape. I don't like the, the clear, like the clean white tape look. I would always mark it up with a puck to, to, to darken it a little bit. So, but I was a black tape guy, but I think at times, I think even in 97, when we won the cup, I was white tape at that time, but black tape just looks better. Yeah. Black tape guy as well. Uh, tongues in or tongues out on the skates? Tongues in. I used to be, when I was a kid, you were, you know, you were, or Dau, I don't even think they make Dau skates anymore, but they had the biggest tongues on them and you would, it was a cool thing to, you know, have them hanging out and lay over. Uh, eventually, uh, two things people wouldn't even know, but I used to get lace bite a lot. And, uh, sorry, that's my dog. <laughs> um, uh, bear with him. He's a, a guard dog. So uh, when I became a defensive player, you block a lot of shots that you have your tongues out. There's a gap between the top of your skate and your, and your shin pad. And you only have to get hit there a couple of times before you decide, you know what, I'm, I'm going to a longer shin pad. I'm tucking my uh, uh, tongues underneath my shin pad. So you'll look at about somewhere around 96 ish. I went from tongue out to tongue in and, and now you see some of these guys get actually cut um, by a skate. Guys have had their Achilles tendon cut. Oh, uh, so for protection-wise, I think it's a cooler look now. Um, uh, but I'm a tongue-in guy. Cool. Uh, I don't even know if you're uh, at odds to say this, but the, the Red Wings red jersey or the Red Wings white jersey? So I guess home or away, but it's, I know it's switched a couple times throughout your career, so I just keep it red or white. I'm 50, 50. I love them both. Yeah, um, fair. I, there's, uh, yeah, I couldn't pick one over the other. I think they're both great. Okay. You won two in the whites, one in the red, I think. Yeah, that's correct. Um, okay. So fist fight today on the ice, who's winning Darren McCarty, Joey Kosher. <laughs> Did they fight? They never fought. Proby and Joey fought once, right? Yeah, I think they're – I thought I had one clip of McCarty and Kosher, but now that I think about it, it might have been Probert and Kosher. But I thought – No, I, I see those guys. I see both those guys. Um, <laughs> and uh, they're both good friends. Uh, I, I ain't answering that one. Like, Fair enough. <laughs> well, then I got one. I got one. What is that? I said it would be a good one to watch. 
Yeah, I'd like to watch it again. Uh, we'll ask another one here. It's probably going to be no comment again. Um, I just wanted to ask about two of my other favorite guys. Huck battle today. Kirk Maltby, Chris Draper. Again, that one would go – that would go literally go 50-50. They're both really good, not because I'm afraid to pick one over the other. They're just both really good in those situations. Understandable. Um, so, you know, you're my favorite wing of all time. Another one that's way up there for me um, is the gritty, the heart of a lion, Chris Osgood. Um, a big reason for that is because uh, I want to say the 2000 playoffs – 2001-ish, they're, they're playing the Ducks. I had a sign um, in the front row that said, let's go duck hunting. He hands me the stick over the glass. Um, you know, it's one of my great memories as a Red Wings fan. Um, so I fully believe he is. Um, but I wanted to ask you, um, you know, is Chris Osgood a Hall of Famer? Well, I'm not a – I don't have a vote. Um, he certainly got impressive numbers. You know, his numbers in his career are very, uh, very good. I don't know where he would relate uh, – uh, or where he would fit in as far as guys that are in and uh, the rest of the guys that are in, but I know we have really good numbers. Yeah. Okay. Um, last one of this, and then we'll get in the last section and we're all done. Um, what is your today? What is your cocktail of choice? <laughs> um, today it's a Manhattan Burt with bourbon. Awesome. I love it. Okay. So with every fizz podcast that I do, um, I end with a little section called over or under. And what it is, is I have one of my buddies, his name is Jerry. He emails me a list of 10 items. We're only going to do five. Um, I've never seen the list before. I scroll through it and then I read it and I say, is this person, place, thing, this idea over or underrated? So I have five things for you here that I'd love to just, you know, say to you. And then you tell me if that is over or underrated. Um, normally the rule is nothing can be just, you know, rated as it is, you know, you gotta, gotta take a stance either way. Well, depending on the question, I may, uh, ignore your rules. Yeah. I mean, you can do whatever you want, honestly. Thank so, you. <laughs> so, uh, first one on the list, uh, over or underrated Mr. Steve Eiserman is touching the Campbell bowl over or underrated after winning the Western. Oh, we're grossly overrated. We <laughs> work hard to get it. You know, I, I, you know, I like the teams that take the picture uh, with the trophy, take a picture on the ice with it, take the trophy, skate off the ice with it. That's what I, you know, that's what I believe. But, so I think touching it is grossly overrated. Or uh, would that be right? Yeah. yeah, correct. Yeah, correct. No, it's not taboo as far as I'm concerned. I love it. I actually looked up, you know, what you did over the years. Um, I know in 95, you touched it, you got, you got some heat for it because you guys didn't win, but then, you know, you touched it in 97, 98 and 02, no problem. And then I, and then I, from my notes here, I have Lindstrom touched it or no, didn't touch it either time. And obviously they split 08, 09. Mm -hmm. Overrated. Okay. Number two on the list, uh, over or underrated kissing Marty LaPointe on the kiss cam. <laughs> uh not one of my finer moments that's all we're gonna leave it there yeah okay i was a, i was a big fan of it okay number three on the list over or underrated the cheeser cheeser pizza from little caesar's pizza 
I gotta say underrated, right? Yeah, I, th I think you. I think you do have to say underrated. Hilarious. Okay, so uh, number four on the list uh, of five. Uh, Tyler Bertuzzi's teeth over or underrated? Well, um, that's a tough question. Uh, <laughs> he certainly looks like a hockey player. Um, it's a good look. Um, as a parent, I try to have my, and having lost teeth, you may want to get that fixed because you lose bone if you don't have that, uh, uh, tooth in there eventually. And if you want it fixed, eventually they got to go in and put some bone back in there and perform surgery. It's not a lot of fun. So it's a pretty cool look. Um, uh, I, I don't know. It's a good look. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, I know that was your look, uh, in 97. Um, I don't know how long you went without the tooth, but, um, definitely looked good for the pictures. Yeah, it's good for the pictures. It's, uh, you know, Bobby Clark made the look uh, uh, um, priceless. Um, but again, after the fact, when I learned what I had to do to actually get it, eventually you want to put a tooth in there. And uh, the process I had to go to get an implant wasn't a lot of fun. So my advice to any of these young guys would be, it looks cool, get a picture and then get it fixed as soon as possible. Yeah, the first game I ever skated beer league without a cage, um, I took a slap shot right off the front of the face, lost the front tooth as well. And, um, you know, I had a dead tooth for about seven years until I just got the crown fixed. So, yeah, not fun. Um, okay, last one, last question. Over or underrated, Mr. Steve Eiserman, I need to know, uh, burning question here, uh, over or underrated, the urinal troughs at Joe Louis Arena. Now, this is sad to say, I don't even remember them. I remember them at Tiger Stadium. <laughs> um, uh, I got to say, oh, God, how do you answer that one? I think the urinal trough is probably an underrated item. Amen. I'm so happy you said that because it is, uh, you know, walking into the gel that's, you know, besides, you know, the, your feet, the stairs that made your legs burn and, you know, sticking stick to the floor there, the urinal troughs were... Um, yeah. a, marquee, a marquee item and, and occasionally you see it but I think uh, falling asleep passed out drunk in the uh, urinal trough at a stadium is very overrated yeah I would say that's overrated I haven't experienced it I've witnessed it um, I've definitely come close um, a few times at the Joe but uh, managed to stay upright and either keep it in a seat or uh, you know make it outside of the stairs good for you yeah um, well Steve, this was, this was an honor. Um, this was a dream. And, you know, before I let you go, um, I just wanted to let you know that back in, uh, you know, 1995, a five-year-old Frank Cerise, my dad took me to a particular game seven. Um, I watched you guys play the blues. I watched you put a bullet over Jim Carrey's shoulder um, in double overtime. The next summer, or, the, you know, after throughout that summer, the next year, my dad signed me up for hockey because it's all I could talk about. Um, he bought me your jersey, which I still have right there. Um, and hockey became my favorite sport. The Red Wings became my favorite team. Um, I wore number 19 for most of my playing days uh, because, because you're my favorite player. And I love the way you play the game. Um, I think I speak for countless kids across Metro Detroit and the world in saying that uh, my love of the game comes from the way you played it. Um, so thank you for all the countless inspiration, the countless memories all the grit you showed, 
um, and making me very proud to be from Detroit and proud to be a Red Wings fan. Um, I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate you speaking with me today. Hey, Frank, no, my pleasure. Enjoyed it. And uh, I'm glad we were able to uh, uh, convert you as a young boy into a Red Wing fan. And, um, you know, it's been, it's a great, it's a great place to play. And even I, you know, today as the general manager of obviously we're building, and when I talk to these uh, younger players, um, guys like playing in the city. Like our, they like playing here. They like living here. And, uh, and they like playing for an original six franchise in a great, great hockey market. So we got a lot of work to do, um, but we're very appreciative of, of the fan base and of the community because I think it's a great, uh, it's going to help us in our rebuild here. And, uh, you know, like his players want to come and play here and they enjoy it for a lot of different reasons. So, um, you know, uh, again, enjoyed speaking with you and appreciate your support and everyone's support here. And I'm going to keep asking for everybody to be patient as we get through this and uh, get back to where you're familiar with the Red Wings being. Absolutely. And no problem being patient. Uh, we love the team, countless history. Um, who would love playing hockey here? So good luck, Steve. And, you know, we'll be rooting you on. Great. Thanks a lot, Frank. Nice speaking with you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. So there you have it, team. There is the interview between myself and the GM and forever captain of the Detroit Red Wings, Steve Eiserman. Pretty out-of-body experience for me. Pretty surreal. One of the most exciting things I've ever done in my life. Um, just absolutely awesome. I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, I, you know, One of my friends asked me, did you go in full confident and just call him Steve, or did you debate calling him Mr. Eiserman? And I can't tell you how many minutes, days, hours I thought about what to call him whether I wanted to call him Steve or Mr. Eiserman I ended up going with Steve I think it worked out but it is definitely something I lost sleep over a um, couple of the highlights in there too just some human moments you know when his dog starts going crazy my dog starts going crazy and he just he just talks right through it just plays right through the adversity just like you know you'd expect him to just talks over the dog barking you get a cameo from from Lisa um, it, it's pretty it's pretty good um, in addition to that, also when the camera cuts for him, when they have the technical difficulty, like I'm pretty sure he's just talking to like an empty screen there, but I don't know if my video came back or not, but um, I was pretty happy to have, you know, got to interact with him, get the answers I got from him. I could ask him questions on questions on questions that could have went for four more hours. Um, so narrowing it down even to where I had it was not easy at all. So, you know, if there's things you guys wanted me to ask and I didn't do it, I do apologize, but I just, you know, tried to ask the things that uh, I thought would be interesting for everyone and things I was curious about and, you know, tried to finish strong. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys liked it. Um, and just overall, you know, I, I want to thank, thank my wife again, thank Bella Eiserman and, and thank Steve Eiserman. You guys are the greatest for making this happen for me. Uh, really a humbling experience and, and, and just, just really fantastic. And I couldn't be more appreciative. Um, speaking of appreciation, all of you guys listening out there, all of you who like, follow, share, everything in between, uh, it really does mean a lot to me. Uh, you know, we, we've grown a little bit over the years, and it's it's been a lot of fun to share my love of Detroit sports uh, with you guys. You know, we all just we just love Detroit sports, and it, it's a lot of fun to to share and put it on display. Um, 
And I really, really do appreciate each and every one of you out there. If you are listening on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you know, please, please rate and write a review. Whether you're on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe, all of it. Just follow, share, everything in between because, you know, it's going to be fun to continue to grow this thing. And I'll, I'll try to make it as exciting as possible as we go along on this journey. But uh, I know we haven't had good sports teams here for a few years, but when we do, it's, it's, going, to be, it's going to be whimsical. And we're going to be on the front lines cheering our guys on. So I appreciate, honestly, each and every one of you. And uh, your support means a lot to me. And, you know... LGRW. Just a small town girl. Thanks a lot. Living in a lonely world. She took the midnight train going anywhere. Just a city boy. Born and raised in South Detroit. He took the midnight train going.